0: Hey, team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. <laughs> My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to get back and support the Eternal Optimist community, Go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late, and you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Hello friends, and welcome to The Eternal Optimist podcast. I'm your host, Matt Drinkon, and I'm excited to bring to you today a conversation with a new friend. Before we dive into the conversation, I want to share with you, you can follow me on social media at Facebook and Instagram, Eternal Optimist Podcast, and do a live stream every morning for 5 to 15 minutes, 7 a.m. Eastern time on both of those accounts, Instagram and Facebook, Eternal Optimist Podcast. Whew, today's episode, I'm taking a deep breath, my friends. Today's episode, I'm going to give you the disclaimer up front. I actually cried in this conversation a couple of times. Matthew Christensen shares it all, and he is a genuinely good soul, my friends, genuinely good soul. And he's humble. He started designing video games at the age of 10 when he built Game Maker, his first game. By 12, he started his first video game company, He found early success in business, and it carried on into his college years and beyond. He weaves the tale of things he learned and faced along the way. And when we get to his exit, at age 29, he sold his business so he could be with his family. And then tragedy struck. Sadly, his newborn son passed away. And from that point forward, our conversation turns to what Matthew calls the mist of darkness. He shares the different stages of grief, the fog that ensues, what not to say or what not to ask someone who is experiencing grief, how there's no timeline on grief. And as we express emotion during this discussion, Matthew does something that I will always love him for. He gracefully shows us how to turn grief into an ally and how to move forward in the most challenging of circumstances. Matthew is open. He's real. He's taking it one day at a time. And some days, nearly unbearable. And through it all, he shows us that love and hope and time can heal us and we can overcome. I hope you learn from this shining example of a wonderful human being, my friend Matthew Christensen. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon.
1: I'm happy to just unpack wherever. It is like a little personal sometimes getting into some of the stuff that like has happened in my life. And it's hard for me to go there a little bit, especially like when the thought comes to me that I could be sharing something personal, as personal as like the death of my son and the grief around that and being an optimist through that. That's a really personal topic, but I think it's an important one because When that happened to me, like when my kid passed away, I could go two directions. It could be spiral down to depression, ask why, what even matters? Why am I even here? And it's like a dark place. I've been there. I went that direction for a while. And eventually you have to decide to rebound back up or stay there. And being a father, I decided I wanted to rebound back up from that. Mm -hmm. So it's personal sharing about this. It's hard because I just can't, I don't like the thought of sharing this with someone and there being people out there being like, like saying something or thinking even something offensive about like something as sacred as my kid or like hearing this in the wrong way. But I think I am willing to go there because I do know there's a lot of people out there who go through, really everyone at some point goes through a true tragedy And I think it's important to and helpful to hear a few stories and perspectives. So my perspective is not the perspective of every story. Grief is different for everyone. Um, But I will go there and share there if that's the direction that we go eventually in hopes of helping people through my story, but also recognizing that if someone's story is different and they need to process grief differently, I'm not at all saying that how it's happened for me is the answer in every situation, but it might be helpful for some people because it's different than what the textbooks tell you, was my experience. Very different.
0: Thank you for being open to going there. And yeah, I think that the real story of this is far more powerful than what someone can role play or read in a textbook and think they know. You have the real life experience, and I'm grateful you're willing to share it. And I know someone is going to find some relief, value, wisdom strength in your story i've had two gentlemen on the show so far one one episode has been published one is not but two of them who have shared losses of children and uh, yeah so there uh, there's definitely uh, there's definitely something that you won't be able to understand if it hasn't happened if it has happened i'm sure your story will connect with people and so i'm grateful that you're willing to share i'm grateful that you have just an amazing story to share with highs and lows because yeah the human experience is different for all of us but you have this amazing perspective that colors everything. I'm just, I'm excited to hear it. And I'm envious, or maybe it's my ego talking here. You do have a really freaking cool chair. With, Thank you. I'm <laughs> sitting in the kitchen table chair because it's very, it's good for my back. It's really hard, but you've got this super cool chair. Last night I was at Staples picking up some stuff for this event I'm doing next week and right after you get past all the uh, registers, there are a bunch of chairs over there, surplus chairs they didn't sell last year. One of them was looks just like yours, like a big one. It's red and black. It looks like a big gaming chair. I've always wanted one of those. In fact, we were watching the 40-year-old Virgin last week and I saw that giant awesome chair he had in there, mm-hmm. that gaming chair. And I'm a big guy so I'm always looking for a comfortable chair I can game in and sit in for a lot of the day so maybe at some point if you have a a chair sponsor or something you could drop a name of a chair
1: (laughs) i don't know what's going (laughs) on i love the chair (laughs) that's Um, funny are you a gamer yourself
0: you said steam and the game i would play is more of a strategy game i I played the civilization every kind of different version of civilization for a while I used to play Warcraft before it became World of Warcraft, just a video game. And then when I got out of college in 99, I really stopped playing games and went into business. And yeah, I didn't really play for a long time. And now I play a couple of games on my phone just because my kids are starting to find some enjoyment in that. So I've got a couple of key games. I love to kill zombies. So I've got a couple of zombie killers on the phone. Aside from that, not a whole lot anymore, though, if I had infinite amount of time and no kids and no work to do, which are all the priorities. But if I didn't have the priorities and an infinite time, I would go back and play every Final Fantasy series and maybe go back to my original Nintendo, play all the Mega Man series, Legend of Zelda series. I like the role playing games that go for different. Like links, Final Fantasy, like seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 10, oh, 11 come to mind. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Final Fantasy VII, that is a classic. Also, the new Zelda Breath of the Wild, that's one definitely worth playing. Okay. But well, yeah, now we're as a game that, that I got to play, I can write it off as a business expense when I purchase video games. So it's, that's pretty nice.
0: Interesting. I might I might try to figure out how to do that, too. Maybe it's mental development. In any event, i we've already started to record, so maybe some of this is actually already on the show, possibly, but... If you've heard the show, then I like to go in three different directions. And the first direction would be you know, something's been challenging for you. The second direction, any life lessons or things you may have learned through these challenges. And then the third thing is what's exciting in the future? What do you want to bring to the world now? And sometimes we answer all of these. Once I ask the first question, we just go and we see where it takes us. But I know you've had some great success professionally. And I already detailed some of that in the intro to this uh, this recording. I love to talk about, because everyone thinks that successful people, they it's easy for them. That's a piece of cake. They're just smarter or they have this special skill and they just had it overnight. So everybody thinks it's easy. They may have overcome one thing, but what they don't know is that under the water, we're like ducks paddling a thousand miles an hour and many successful people, they probably had some challenges more than most because they, uh, they made it in some way, shape or form. That doesn't mean that they've made it in every area of their life, but they've made it in some way. And I know you've had professional success, so we know about that coming in. But I'd love to go back in time from now to anywhere in the past and to talk about something that's been challenging for you. So I'll kind of leave an open book here, Matthew. and You can talk about anything that you've found challenging in the past.
1: Just yeah, give it to you from yeah. there, sir. So I guess I can go back quite a bit. So m- me wanting to be a developer started when I was 10 playing the old Zelda games and whatnot. And I ended up getting into this tool called Game Maker. And I built my first game and I was trying, I was like showing it to my friends at school. And they were like playing it on their computers, you know, back when computers were only existent in labs at school and very few people had them at home and they were loving it. And so I then started building websites and I. my game on there and a few people would buy them and play them that way and then i started doing other things with websites and i ended up building my first company when i was like 12 or 13 and my dad was also into that stuff and my dad was teaching me business while other dads were like teaching their kids to throw the baseball that's where we bonded because my dad is a big businessman and so i was doing that and early on in life i was finding success in business and it wasn't easy to do that at a young age because you have money coming in, but you don't really know the significance of it.
0: Yeah, like what? Like you, when um, you're twelve and you're building your first gaming company yes. and you start to make some money, what do you do with money at twelve? I didn't know. I just wanted another video game or some Toys R Us back okay. when that was available. What What did you do when you started to make money in a early teen phase in life?
1: Yeah, so when you're so having success early fortunately and like I don't know if this is the wrong or the right answer for everyone but for us our parents when we were very successful with business they like just helped us tuck that away and save that for when we were when we know a little more what to do with it so I'm really grateful for, for them having that insight though because as a kid I don't know I would have just went out and blown it on something crazy I still did a little bit but non-entitlement was huge in my family like my dad as I didn't know my dad was successful until I showed up to college and he was the keynote speaker. And he was like, oh yeah, I built this million dollar business and this million. And I was like, holy cow. And then I thought, hey, that's cool that I've already built my own successful business. So early on though, what's funny is I had a much easier time building these businesses when I was young because they were very based around something on the web. There was like, You could buy Google ads back then and you could buy a space to get people to look at your site and then you could put AdSense on it and you could even like do Google. Through Google, you could make money if your site converted well through like just that transition. So there were like these tricks back then, like early web that fortunately Google has fixed and made more efficient for everyone that you could use to make money. And I'm sure there's still like that, but after I went to college and that fizzled out and i was starting my next business what the greatest challenge was i got into the service-based business field Mm -hmm. and that field is a lot more challenging i feel like i think product-based it's harder to start service-based it's harder so like product-based it's harder to build something that then successfully makes money but after it's making it it's awesome in service-based at least this is technology and in my experience speaking It was easier to find clients. Like I could you could go to a site right now called like Upwork or something like that. You could find a client and you could start working for them in just about any field if you can speak professionally and sell yourself well. But where it gets hard is then you end up having multiple bosses and you start having to deal with then pleasing people and keeping people happy in the service space business. So for me, like the first real challenge. I faced in my life. Like I was always told I would face challenges and I was, always felt, oh, I can always be positive through every challenge. So I would do stuff and I'd succeed and I'd be like, yeah, I'm an optimist. I'm always happy and I'd succeed, keep going. And then BrightBridge came and it felt like my first challenge because I'm building this service-based business and now I'm getting clients who are not happy with what we're doing. And that's a challenge because sometimes a lot of them were happy. But there were some clients who were like, hey, there was scope creep here. This took, this costed more than I thought. And it's hard not to ever do that when you're building a website for someone. So that was my first yeah. challenge is feeling like I had then built something that for some people was good. But for other people, like they were trying to start their dreams and we weren't succeeding at it. I think... Every service based business probably faces that a little bit if they're being completely honest.
0: Yeah. Also, well, when you have these first clients that are, most people are satisfied, but some are not. Yeah. And this is your first taste in business where you're having some real adversity where people are not happy with what you're providing. How are you dealing with that in that time? And how old were you at this time when you're By sharing this point, those-
1: I was in college. I was building it out of my little apartment. I think I was like 23. Around okay. that age when I was doing this. And so actually at first it was great for me. And I'd even hire like neighbors that were like young students and stuff, similar age. And I was helping like, there was one kid who was like in poverty and I was helping him get out of poverty. And I felt all this sense of filling, fulfillment and meaning and doing that. And they're just like, and he was awesome and we're all getting along. But then I start first facing difficult clients and then that's hard. So then you start changing your business to appease to them, but sometimes you just can't make everyone happy. But then um, the next challenge that came up for me is then once you start getting difficult employees, and that's when it gets even harder. And what Mm. happened for me eventually is I had some employees who were frustrated over little things, and I didn't know they were frustrated over them, like to the extent that they. say, Hey, good job. And then find out later and through the funnel, that employee was mad at you for saying good job to them. (laughs) Like to that extent, like in business ownership, some people just want to hate the boss. And so having that created for me, changed me where I then started to have post-conversation over analysis. And essentially after identifying that in business, I would start to be like so careful speaking my opinions and sharing with people that I'm going to offend them that I wouldn't even talk sometimes. I'm like, after having a conversation with someone saying something totally normal, like, hey, I hope you're having a good day. Afterwards, I, oh no, they're probably going to be mad at me because I had a frustrated look on my face. I think one challenge that can come up and I think pretty much any field you're in, any business, whatever you're doing, it's possible to have this happen when you've been like wronged for something or maybe your inner child, something's happened that's made you overanalyze things. I think it's possible for anyone to develop this and it's just recognizing it can help you overcome it. I didn't even know I had this though until recently when my real challenges came.
0: Yeah. Well, if I can interrupt I'd say one one thing I'm hearing in your speech pattern that I want to honor and appreciate is that I really feel like you're coming from a place of judgment free. You've set a couple of frames in front of some of your statements and that just leads me to believe that you're someone that you're sharing your experience. You're not assuming it's their experience too, but from your perspective, this is what it felt like or looked like. And just to like that, I appreciate that about you is that it's a judgment-free space. Does that connect with you judgment-free?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that really connects with me as like I'm really against judgment, (laughs) probably because of all that stuff that's happened. Yeah. Um, Okay. So so
0: thank you. Yeah. So let's keep moving. Employee challenges. And we've learned to overcome some of those. We went into post conversation over analysis is kind of where we're at now. So please continue.
1: Yeah. So here I am thinking like eventually I get to the point where I'm very stressed. I have 20 employees. I have 20 clients. I'm like treating all my employees as if I need to not connect with them because I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. This is the point I was at eventually, but I was successful up to this point in the like material creation of these things, building the business. But maybe my emotional wellness was not following with my success and like using, creating stuff and building a business. Were you aware of that at the
0: time, Matthew? I was not aware. I wasn't.
1: I was just so caught up in everything going on that really i was just trying to solve the next problem and also at that moment i probably wasn't the greatest parent either <laughs> like i just okay i was so caught up in just trying to make my make me not have to fire employees and make employees not hate me and get more clients that i that was everything i was focusing on and I have a couple friends in business who've been there too. And I think it's one of the dangers of building your own business is that you eventually have to either just get really good at delegating or you take it on yourself and you internalize everything.
0: Yeah, that's an entire podcast episode right there alone (laughs) on when you realize that point that if your kid keeps saying to you... um, Daddy's always working, now, that that tears me apart whenever I hear that daddy, he can't do it, he has to work. And I've heard those words come out of my oldest child's mouth, my second child's mouth, so I, yeah. I'm with you on that one. And while we're at it, I think you have just dispelled this legend or this myth that video gamers don't find success in the dating field because you have a family now and you have someone that is a special someone. I, I had a girlfriend when I was playing video games, so for those of you out there who think that video gamers don't get it, we do. We actually have. We we have social lives, too, proudly. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, uh, I think strongly. Like I'm Christian, and I've been at church before where people have been like, oh, video games are evil, they're of the devil, but yeah. <laughs> the truth is, when I was 10, I started playing video games because um, my eyes were wandering, and I don't know if this is still accurate, but for some reason my eye doctor thought playing video games would help my eye focus better. And I don't know, my eyes like don't wander anymore. So maybe it worked. But for health reasons, <laughs> I got into video games when I was young. And actually my wife and I bonded quite a bit over playing Zelda Breath of the Wild that nice. game that I was saying, you gotta try if you haven't.
0: <laughs> nice. Nice. Awesome.
1: And there's Uh, a lot of parents, too, who will be like, I'm not going to let my kids play games. And I think that there's balance in all things. If your kid's first experience to video games is they were a bad thing, they move out of the house and now they're a bad thing, that could end poorly, too. Yeah, that's
0: true. It's true. And you could over, you could just do it all day, every day, forever to the extent of just you're socially just in your room by yourself all the time. There could be
1: that to the far extreme. Yeah, that's Uh, definitely out of balance as well. And though there are some people who have a career in playing video games, and that really is work for them. And I've been working with a lot of those people lately, like Twitch streamers and influencers. And I think that if that's if people through video games are doing something great, like it's more than a hobby, they're making something out of it. That's something that shouldn't be either.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm in this judgment free place as well. That if someone does, let's just say it's video games or painting or sports or yeah. music or whatever their interest or passion lies, it's who am I to judge it? If it gives them joy and it impacts the world in a positive way, I'm all for it. Of course, I'm all for video games too. But we're in a video game space right now. We're talking about how you maybe got to a place where you had to figure out how to, I need to do more work and commit to that, or I need to figure out how to delegate. Or you're in that space. So if you could take us to that place, yeah, and move forward, please. Yeah, so Effie. going
1: back to the business, so eventually I started to realize that I needed to change something because, like, the, when I first started my business, my, the service-based business, I felt like I was doing it to change the world and I was helping people and people improving. And by after that emotional damage that came and where I was current, I felt like I was just trying to make money and try to keep people from being sad and from losing their jobs, but like, there wasn't as much the sense of fulfillment from it. Though we were building great sites for large, awesome, reputable companies that have been successful. I could have had that, but I was just feeling burnt out a little bit and I needed to be there for my family. And that feeling happened at really good timing because I then decided I I need to sell this business and bring it to someone who maybe is in an emotional spot to take it to the next level. I recognized I wasn't at the time. So I did and I was able to sell it. So then I was 20 and 29 and I had successfully sold a business for a good amount where I could get some fixed income and have stability with my family pretty much indefinitely if I wanted to. And at first that was a really good thing. And I was able then to come home and like breathe and like really see my kids for the first time in a while I'd spend a Saturday with them and it, getting away from it was a, was amazing but just at that moment tragedy then stroke and I, I think it was a blessing from whether you want to call it God or karma or whatever that I was able to sell the business at the time I did because just months after then we had a newborn who we had for who was born with some genetic issues okay And we went to the hospital with him like daily and his kidney started to grow big enough that his body couldn't handle it and he wasn't digesting food. And he eventually found out his mental capability wouldn't be very much at all. And then he started having breathing problems and flatlining. And so we would spend the day at the hospital like pretty much every day there being with him also trying to help our other kids through what they were going through and sadly he did pass away and um, after that it was like everything i just shared doesn't even matter like perspective changed before mm-hmm. before that i wanted to help my kids be successful at business like I was. I wanted to, all this stuff I'm sharing that seemed like coming from a place of pride, almost like I did this, all just meaningless. And that's where I am now, honestly. Like I could keep going on about what I built in business and people ask me questions. But at this point, I'm like, what does it matter? Because life is fragile. And in a heartbeat, I would give up everything that I've built from past till now to have my kid be okay so
0: yeah
1: yeah now naturally after that happened we we how long ago was this when it happened how long ago was it when this happened this was about eight months ago so it's still and i think it always will be fresh but it's still fairly recent
0: Yeah. yeah
1: So after this happened, we, there was so much I learned and I wish I had gotten therapy like immediately. And I say that literally having gotten therapy like two days ago for the first time. Oh, really? Yes. (laughs) Literally two days ago, I finally got therapy for the first time before that I was listening to podcasts. I was, which helped a ton. And like, John Broman's podcast was incredible. Like I've listened to your podcast a bunch now and everything on it. I'm like, man, I wish I'd found this one sooner. <laughs> it's really great stuff. And I wish I'd gone to therapy because I'm. we met with him two days ago and he just shared with us like stuff. It took me 10, 10 months to learn and they were 10 really hard months. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. I would recommend immediately doing that from my experience and the hard thing though is after you go through something like this, something ground shattering is you just, everything freezes up. Like I think the stages of grief from my experience are not totally accurate to like the loss of a loved one. And I've done some research on it. Actually the stages of grief were made for like acceptance of a death sentence for yourself. Okay. Um, Okay. And that feels accurate to me because though emotions from it happen, it's not like the order in which they happen. Really, the way it ended up happening for me was at first it's just like a fog. Like, you know what happened? It's not really a denying it, but like you're just processing all the time. And by the time you wake up from that fog, is the point at which your community starts to dissipate and that's one of the challenges i think especially in america (laughs) i know there's other countries where like they'll give people months to grieve right but in america you got three three days and then back to work
0: (laughs) yeah i like the way that you're able to talk and i respect and appreciate you can talk about this it's uh, I'm on the verge of tears over here just thinking about that fog when I didn't have my children are alive. My father passed away uh-huh. and I related to this fog, the processing time and then having to go back to work within the week and then n- not even really caring what uh, what the result was at the work. And that's been my life is the work. But Now it's yeah. I just paused because I, I appreciate what you're sharing right now. So please continue. But I'm with you.
1: Thanks, man. I'm so sorry you've had a loss too. That's another thing is there. after going through something like this, I feel like you become more emotionally open. When I hear someone else going through a challenge, I just want to be there for them however I can. You don't know how, but you just want to support others, which is why I'm on this podcast today and trying to share this experience. Anyway, so continuing the timeline, at first it was just a fog. And the best thing that people could do through the top fog was not try to fix the problem was to witness and observe the grief because uh, grief needs to be witnessed and observed and not fixed. And especially early on. So the most common question you get is how are you doing? Are you okay? How are you doing? And oh, yeah. the honest answer to that question is, especially when you're in the fog, at the first is if you're telling the truth, it's not good. And I even had people in my net- network, close, close people be like, how are you doing? And I'd be like, not great. And they'd be like, why? And I'd be like, my kid oh. died. And they'd be like, that was five months ago. And I'd be like, I want to punch him. <laughs> like, wow, it's still fresh. Like it's always will be. Like, <laughs> I don't care if it's if someone's going through grief and it's 20 years from now and, they're, and that's why they're sad. We always give them a break from what I I think, because I think it's a lifetime thing. And also, it changes it so you're suddenly like, it's like you're growing flowers in the winter. Like before you were in the summer and you could grow those flowers, right? I'd easily get satisfaction from, hey, I'm building a business, I'm running it, I'm successful. I have my castle, as Dr. Kelly puts it. but. After you go through a true tragedy, that castle is just destroyed. It just got blown up using that analogy. And now you have to really find what it gives you genuine joy. So what used to bring me to like here, which is okay and half like the middle ground of what's okay and happiness suddenly okay. got shifted up to here. So mm. suddenly you got to go to the, I had to go to the gym more. I had to do, I had to spend more quality time with people around me. I had to feel even more fulfillment, everything just to be okay. And I feel like that's the second phase of it is like at first you're just in this mist, mist of darkness. And then you next come to this point where you recognize you're just always low, but you need to find a way to stay high enough to even sleep. And for me, it was really a lot of like, anxiety, like I try to sleep, I close my eyes, and I would just relive the moment. And right, that's what anxiety is getting caught up in the past or in the future. So the thing that I found eventually helped me to at least be able to sleep through that phase was getting in a routine. So like, I, I knew that I would always before bed, I would drink some chamomile tea, read a book, And I'm going to wake up early at this time, do all this. That was the first thing. Routine, like I was sleeping so little, I was like close to dying. It was bad. But getting in routine helped me to at least function through the mist. And then the second thing was like meditation. And I used to think it was the wonkiest, craziest thing. Like people who meditate are like weird Very weird. Yes. Eventually, I gave it a try. And there's meditations that can center you on the now. And that helped me quite a bit during that phase where I was so low, I couldn't sleep and I had to do my routine to be even and then I could meditate to be focused on the now not living in the past when I'm going to sleep. And then I'd rest better. Funny story. I meet with my psy- psychologist for the first time two days ago after 10 months, and he told me all of this. He's, I'd recommend oh. meditating to stay grounded, and I'd recommend having a routine. And funnily enough, he's also, and I'd recommend. Taking a multivitamin. I'm like, okay, that's the new one for me. Apparently multivitamins are magical. I don't know. But
0: this is uh, this is really invaluable. And thank you for, again, for having the courage to share it, because I I don't know about you. I'm literally on the verge of anything can like the wind blows inside my house right now and the tears might start. So I appreciate what you're sharing. Now, a quick pause for today's sponsor. Today's sponsor for the Eternal Optimist Podcast is going to be one of our reviewers on the Apple Podcast app. The title from February 2nd, 2023, Uplifting Lessons for All, five-star rating from E.M. Woolwind. I've been interviewed on many podcasts and listened to so many more, and I have to say that Matt's Eternal Optimist is one of my favorites. It seems like every episode teaches great lessons and is so uplifting, you just want to listen to more. Matt personally is such a great person that both he and his wife took the time to come out and meet me on their wedding anniversary because that was the day I was in their city. It has been an honor getting to know you better, and I wish you all the best. Matt, if you're reading this, you need to subscribe to this podcast. Well, thank you, uh, Eric Wolwin, for that wonderful review. We much appreciate you, sir. Please, everyone, go over to the podcast app you're on, rate and review this show, the five-star rating and review. That's what spreads the word out there. Who else might you know who could benefit from eternal optimism? Please share this episode with them. It'd mean the world to me. Thank you so much. And now, back to the show. I wonder through this experience in the last eight months, you said that two days ago was the first time that you talked to the psychologist. Yep. And I wonder in the days leading up to talking to the psychologist for the first time, what kind of pushed you over that edge or made you have courage to actually make that call and set up that appointment?
1: You, know, <laughs> yeah. you finally got there. How'd you get there? Yes. So what finally got me there was for my wife, really. Mm. I thought I finally got to the point where I felt like I was good enough that I wanted to help my wife because she was really struggling, really struggling and work. She's working through all this too in in her own way. And, and I honestly, coming from a complete Place of pride. I'm. I know you've interviewed people all the time on this podcast they've overcome their pride and they're just like awesome people. I haven't. I'm so just full of it, and I got so many issues to work through. So I'm sure Hector's going to have to edit this a lot, though. But yeah, uh, thing, like, I'm going to help my wife. Thank and you. then I had a friend yes. who is in my band, my gr- front row dad band. His man, you really should go with your wife. He's got. Uh, he shared with me some real personal stuff and opened up to me about how he wished he had went with his wife when he was in a similar spot. So I decided, okay, what the heck, I'll go too. And I'm really glad because I thought I was finally added a lot more together, but going was a great idea. I think awesome. what scared me for eight months, I think this is an important topic to cover too, is I was yep. scared that... I would get a therapist and they would say to me the type of stuff the community says to me, which probably is the case sometimes. And what gave me the courage to do it was f- determining that I was going to fire my therapist instantly. If they said the type of stuff the community says to me, like I get a lot of, Oh, I know you're sad, but don't be sad. You'll see him again. Or "Yeah, just, Oh, I see your problem. I had. Someone I had my brother die and let me tell you about his death and then go into that. And so it's tough for me being like when you're going through it and then you hear someone else's story, that doesn't per se help you through yours. It just makes you more sad. But it's tough for me because now on the other side of it, I don't want to do that to anyone on this podcast. I don't want to be that guy being like, here's my story. Now I know I didn't help you at all with your problems, but here's my story, which is why I'm like so sensitive to bringing the, this up over and over again i hope any, anyone anyone listening to this going through something that that just my experience of how i've went through the grief can maybe be enlightening whether i did it right or wrong on on things and be helpful and also i recognize that grief needs to be witnessed and observed and my story is not anyone else's and it there isn't a better or worse like i've even heard people be like hey your kid Died when he was two months old. Oh, that's not so bad. I know someone whose kid died when they were five years old. And that's really triggering. And no, that's not right. Everyone's grief and story is their own. And it it must be fed and nurtured and loved and honored. And there is um, no timeline on grief. And it's healthy and good to feed it and love it instead of bottle it up. That's the third thing I learned was eventually got to the point where I could function. And then I started going to the gym a lot. And I started listening to like angry rap music. I just got so mad. I was just angry all the time. But I wasn't expressing my emotions or sharing at all. I just became this like angry guy who was just trying to and I guess that is one of the stages of grief is anger right Mm -hmm. and that's what leads me to the front row dad group that that we're both in is I went to the live session of that and I just there was a grief breathing exercise or they did the same grief breathing that like marines do and like I would be honest like at first it was it was like Again, me feeling, wow, this is wonky. We're going <laughs> to be like you'd breathe in and go oh, and breathe out like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, meditation. I also guys.
0: felt this way at my first breath work session with a bunch of guys around. And yeah, yeah this is going to be wonky. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to play all in. And,
1: yeah. 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 I'm
0: with you, man. 100%. Before you know it, I'm like the crying like a baby that just lost its Yes, in a place I've not allowed myself to be really ever completely just let it go. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry to steal the show. I don't mean to talk about me. Let's come back to your, what was your experience with this uh, breath work? And, no,
1: everything you said was hundred yeah. percent accurate. <laughs> totally with you on that, man. And we did this exercise where one guy would stand in the, like we all get in a circle with a hundred brothers or so. And one guy would stand in the middle. And he's like, I want whoever is going through the most grief to stand in the middle. And I felt like I'm like, I'm obviously going through the most grief, but also I don't want to be like a spectacle. So it was like awkward that this was before the barriers were broken, right? That's a tough way to put it. But I couldn't just step out of the like center of the circle. And everyone steps out one by one. But I'm just like, I can't dishonor my kid because there's no greater. I'm like at a, a million percent. We're at like... There, there is no greater grief I can possibly feel than this. But then it finally gets this circle of everyone stepping out of the center of the circle, and there's me and like 10 other guys. And I finally stepped out. And I think it was like, it was partly in the spirit of, man, if these guys are here as long as me, feeling socially awkward, they must also be infinity out of infinity. So I'm going to just try to be charitable on this. So we all step out. There's one guy in the middle, and we, they have those of us who were in the circle the longest come up to him and hold him up and put our hands on his shoulders while we're doing this grief breathing and exercise. And me being a complete skeptic, I was, like you said, I was in tears after 20 minutes. There was this grieving music playing. We were breathing this way. <laughs> and the facilitator therapist was asking the guy in the middle. He's, said, I want you to imagine your son. Now, what does he say? What does he think about you? Does he love you? Yeah, he does. And he's like, would he, does he want you to be sad? And he's, no, he doesn't. He wants me to be happy. And like when he was saying that, I swear, I felt the presence of my kid in in that room telling me the same thing. And I realized a lot of me feeling like I needed to be sad and angry was really just on top of grief. Anger is typically um, covering another emotion. That's why you'll have anger. I was just having anger covering my grief. And when I got down to the grief, I realized I was just part of the reason why I felt like I needed to stay in grief and anger. And it had been like now six months at this point was because I was not sure that he'd want me to be happy. I was not sure my kid would want me to move on and be, and be happy. And I would always just say to myself, how can I know he was a little toddler? He'd want me to be angry and really grieve him and be sad. Or, but in that moment, there were no words that could have given me this feeling. And that's why I'm like now a huge advocate on breath work, because it can heal you in ways words cannot. It goes into the mm. soul. And my soul finally just had this connection with my son that he wants me to be happy. Then we went into imagining ourselves as a little child and what ourselves would tell us about our biggest mistakes and our biggest problems. And I started to heal from my post-conversation over analysis we were talking about earlier. I start to pull out my inner child again and realize I can just be myself. So you're getting it uncut here because I'm just being my raw self in front of you. (laughs) Didn't prepare notes or anything, but because I'm just, I just want to channel that. And all the time that ego comes back up and I have to chop it back down and I have to stay grounded to be able to stay above that point that now is a higher bar that I have to reach to be even okay. But now that I've found tools to do, I'm to the point now in life where I feel like I finally can start to do good again and be there for my kids again. And instead of my grief turning me into someone who's just angry and wants to complain about it, now my grief is something that we take time to, to feed As a family actually after that exercise we've started taking time to really get together and talk about him and scheduling time to go to his grave rather than just tanking and going there because I'm sad. And now that it's purposeful grief, it's become much more constructive to me. And it is turning me into a better person. And I used to hate it when people would be like, I'm grateful for my challenges because they made me a better person. I loved that before I lost a kid. By the way, like before that, I was like, yeah, I'm grateful <laughs> that I have clients that are tricky, you know, or I had to deal with a really difficult employee and I learned stuff. Yes, I'm better. But I, after I lost a kid, I hated that. I'd be like, oh, no, I would. Gladly be the worst person on earth if my kid would be okay. You're like, no. Yeah. That's the thing. That's another thing the community said that I was scared the therapist would say.
0: I appreciate this purposeful grief transition that you've now made. And I appreciate that you have armed yourself with tools that you've found on your own or found with other support. You've got tools now. And the bar is now, instead of being impossible to reach, Now there are ways that you can get to it, and some days you can be over it, and now it feels like there might be more days you're over it than there were before. For someone who feels this grief like you do, Matthew, I'm curious. You've stated that it doesn't ever go away, and I can relate to that from the loss of a parent. But as far as being able to get to that place where the tools get you into a more manageable spot or a positive spot, if you'd call it that. I wonder now that you have these tools, what's next? Is it more practicing to mastering the tools? Is it, I have this much higher awareness now of how I can work through it. I'm not really sure I know what I'm asking because I'm feeling some emotion myself. And kind of, I guess the question, let's just make this real simple. (laughs) Yeah. What's next now that you might have some of these tools and you're taking these actions What's next later today or tomorrow and moving forward for you?
1: Yeah. So next is I care much less about how much money I make. I care much less about the goals that used to be for my kids to be quote unquote successful and much more about life is short and I need to help my kid, any, something tragedy could strike at any moment. And I want to help my kids and my wife have a lot of good moments together. I want to create good memories. You don't see old guys on their deathbed being like, oh dang, I wish I did more business. It's always, I wish that I spent more time with my family or did more good. So yes, for me now it is being better but also fully recognizing I'd, I'd trade everything to have it back How to have my kid be okay. Not have not had that tragedy, but yes, ultimately having grappled even with not wanting to be better because I'm so frustrated at that situation. Ultimately, yeah, I want to seek self-improvement, okay. more time with family. And I want to seek those type of things that if I was on my deathbed, I'd be like, man, I'm grateful for that. And not those things that You know, I just just couldn't see myself sitting on my bed, being angry that I didn't spend more time at the office.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. We talked before I turned the recording on about the Tools of Titans book with Tim Ferriss. And I remember, and I think it was the opening chapter, the very first chapter I read, he interviewed BJ Miller who gave a Ted talk around this grief. And he's a hospice care gentleman that has helped thousands of people pass away gracefully. And they all said what you just shared, that I don't want to go back and say I worked more. I want yeah. more meaningful moments, with people I love. And yeah. I'm going to try to spin this in a way. And if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong or tell me that it doesn't feel right. But it sounds to me that through this incredible challenge, which will always be present, yeah. you've learned a lesson that you hadn't learned before. Some wisdom. I feel it's wisdom from where I sit some wisdom that life is not about how much time I spend over there at the work. It's not about the money. It is about the people that I love and making moments count because life is short. Yeah. Well, and if that's a lesson that we learned, then as an eternal optimist, can we say that if there is something good that came from this tragedy, it is that now I have been gifted this clarity to spend more time loving my family. That could be a huge stretch and that could be totally wrong. I don't know.
1: No, that is, I am so grateful that I'm on this podcast with you because you just put that into words I needed to hear today. So thank you. That that sums up a lot of it pretty well. I'd say also one of my big things I'm wanting to do next is as we mentioned, I've been building a video game now as my medium yes. for helping people go um, through grief. I'm combining what I love to do, which is development, with what I want to do, which is I just want to help people through stuff like what I've gone through. So I've been working on a video game that's going to have a, be the type of game a parent wants their kid to play. We talked about earlier, like... Video games. All games are the same. There's some games you don't want your kids to play. There's some that okay, this is okay. But there's not many games out there that I'd be like, oh, I want my kid to play this video game. There's so many kids playing so many video games. So through the medium of video games, now I'm seeking to build something that can help arm kids with emotional intelligence and parents to alike and be the type of game that like will be one that a parent and a kid both will want in their family that helped them later on in life, they'd be like, man, I'm glad I had this experience with this video game because there, there is a bigger market for video games right now than all the social media combined. There's literally like trillions of people at any given moment on steam playing a video game. So I'm trying to arm video games to do good. And I've been hiring therapists and people to help me in that endeavor I have a developer who works with Microsoft, who is my partner on it, and we've just been having a lot of fun building it and probably will have that out in about a year or so.
0: I am, I'm going to make just a big guess here, but some of the words you've used today, I wonder, are these going to show up in the video game? You said the stages of grief, one of them is the fog, which then a minute later you said the mist of darkness. Are we going to see the mist of darkness in a video game, quite possibly? Quite possibly. I can't wait to play this game. I like you did say something that really connected with me about 20 minutes ago, and I wanted to bring it back. You talked about growing flowers in the winter and how it's easy to grow them in the sun and sunshine and summer, but make it cold outside, make it blustery and make it wintry, and now it's harder to grow flowers. You have figured out, learned tools that can help you to grow flowers, and you're creating a game that can serve the greater good and help them, not only if they have gone through some grief, but also to arm them proactively in advance, like preventative medicine, so to speak. I wonder, yeah. you talk about emotional intelligence and how we deal with things. I wonder how much of that is learned from our parents. And if you are teaching parents or arming parents through this game, I'm just curious, wonder, and I don't have an answer. I wonder what, how that's going to impact future generations, because a lot of us, we just get our emotional intelligence I think a lot of it probably from the way we're raised. So I wonder how this is going to impact emotional intelligence if families are playing this together and it's a game, it's the quest or whatever that we all love to play, but it's arming them with emotional intelligence. I'm just, I'm excited to, to see it. And when it comes out, I can't wait to have you back on the show. Maybe even have a live stream on the show of the game. Oh, I'm excited to say it. <laughs> that'd be awesome. That'd
1: be so fun. And man, I've even been thinking, hey, I need to figure out a way to get some meditation into the game somehow. I don't know yet, but if we could figure out a way to you some positive affirmations, that try that's that could be cool. Well, it
0: depends on what the medication might be. Oh, the not medication, medication is sorry, it,
1: meditation with a T.
0: Oh, misthinking. Either way, a medication. If it's our mind that we're true, working with, true. is meditation, or is affirmation, or is visualization, or is reading a book, as you say in your routine? How are we influencing people to develop their routines through the game? I'm yeah, yeah. I'm sold. I want some. <laughs> heck yeah. Let me ask you a couple questions here because you've bared your heart and soul, and I appreciate the heck and out of this. Yeah. And I don't know if it's going to make it to the audio version of the podcast, but I literally was crying a couple times here, and I had to hold back a, a little bit. Thank you for that because. It used to feel like it's not masculine to cry. It's It shows weakness to cry. These are really masculine ideas maybe that came up from a long time ago. But now I actually feel better. Now yeah. that you've shared, I feel a lot better. How do you feel in this moment? I know I'm taking a risk by asking, but how do you feel after talking about it and sharing it? What does it feel like after that? I'm curious.
1: It does make you feel grounded, I think, like you get like when you do go down into grief and you experience it a lot it will it helps you to be able to come back up out of it so for sure having talked with you and opened up it's been therapeutic for me for sure
0: (laughs) well good i'm glad that if it can serve that purpose and serve our listeners it has served me you have served me and i didn't selfishly come to our discussion expecting that or asking for that but i thank you for sharing and Uh, Ding, ding, ding. It's time for the lightning round here of some questions to wrap things up. And I'd love to ask you first, when you hear the terms eternal optimism, what does that mean to you, Matthew?
1: Yeah, going back to the flowers in winter, I came up with that quote just like actually while I was looking at the name of your podcast, because that's what I think eternal means that it's going to go on forever and it's not going to be circumstantial. It's not going to be limited by time. So an eternal optimist has to be the best optimist at learning to make it through true tragedy, similar to the experience I shared. And however tragedy strikes, just finding the right tools to make it through that is part of what it takes to be an eternal optimist.
0: (laughs) Okay. Thank you. And if there's a, a song or a movie or a show that might give you some inspiration or some energy... You know, what might be a song, movie, or show that you like?
1: Oh, have you seen the movie or read the book Unbroken? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, I saw that for the first time like a couple days ago, yeah. and it was like, it was so inspiring to me. Like, the guy is literally on a wrap for 45 days, and then he's like fighting sharks mm-hmm. while he's dodging gun bullets from a plane. And then yes. survives the concentration camp. And I'm just like, I'm just like, and then he comes out of that as a motivational speaker, Not even to mention getting through PTSD and his emotional challenges of that. That was very inspiring to me and gave me some courage that we can do hard things. There's these older generations that have done some crazy hard things. And sometimes we forget about that and we get all worked up about our own little stuff. <laughs>
0: That uh, unbroken—that's a story of Louis Zamperini, and it's—I fan- saw that for the first time with my in-laws. Yeah, I was crying in the theater. I think this might even be more than seven years ago, before kids even. Maybe it was right when I was first having our first kid. That I remember that movie, great movie. The yeah. book was written by Laura Hildebrandt, Hildebrandt, is how you say her name, I believe. And that's what you just shared That 47 days around sharks and dodging bullets. It is incredible. The book retelling of it is even more detailed. It is. I mean, it is fascinating. I'm so glad you shared that movie. I want to go watch it with my wife again. It's a fantastic movie. It's a good one. (laughs) Um, I'm broken. What is a, I mean, you just shared it. What might be a book that has inspired you or given you learning anything on your shelf now or in the past that you might share with us book?
1: a book i would say there's so many that's a tough question let me think about that for a second (laughs) if i can only pick one if Um, you'd
0: like to pick a few just feel free to machine gun a few of them i'd say
1: for business the whole way i started my business was the book my dad wrote the zigzag principle that's a great book if you want (laughs) to learn how to start a business bootstrapping without much capital great book about like Life similar to Unbroken is Man's Search remaining Victor Frankl. That one also gets into that psychology of challenges very much. The I would also, let's see, I'm a fan of being a video game nerd. I'm obviously a fan of fantasy books. <laughs> okay, I like okay. all the Brandon Sanderson stuff. <laughs> it's good escape uh-huh, for uh-huh. me and sometimes you need to escape. That's another thing I was talking about with the therapist I met with is Sometimes when you're getting low, you need to, you need to grieve and keep going lower so that you can recover. But there also comes a point when you're, you've reached such a low that you do need to find an escape. And for me, that's been the gym quite a bit recently, but Yeah. Like a good book where you can get lost in or a video game or the gym or whatever that is. It's important to have a hobby or something that you can just get lost in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you bring that up. That reminds me of you said Brandon Sanderson. I thought first of The Wheel of Time. Also, Uh, I'm reading that right now, actually. Are you in book one or are you further down the series? I'm like seven. books.
1: I'm book seven, um, Crown of Swords. I think. Book
0: seven. Oh, awesome! So then you saw the Amazon series. Were you yeah. as disappointed as I was with the first season? I was a so disappointed, disappointed. In that.
1: As a book fan, as a fan of the book, it just didn't feel it didn't feel true to the book to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm still going to watch if they come up with season two. I'm still going to watch it. I just oh, yeah. I, it wasn't what I expected. Tell you what was what I expected. I love the new elves, elves of the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of, of Power. Rings. I, I enjoyed that, that on Amazon. Mind.
1: I felt the same way. I feel like the Wheel of Time, the three main characters represented like what they would look like in my mind pretty well. The Some of the liberties they were taking like with Perrin and they were just throwing a lot of stuff in there to make it like more controversial, I feel like. I don't know. And then the ending, I think the actor left or something. So it felt like it was forced together just a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thank you for uh for sharing some of your uh, books and movies and uh, of course thank you for sharing your story today Matthew how can our audience find out more about you your video games just anything that we can follow you on in social or websites love to hear some of those if you can
1: yeah so if you go to MatthewChristensen.com, I think there's links there to my game development studio as well as some of there's a link there also to join my community uh, that's in the game dev space, but also there's a lot in there in just the self-help space. And yeah, if anyone were to join that discord and reach out to me, I would, I'd be happy to help and be there for people who I can be there for.
0: Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, it's been a, it's been, I would say a good time. I don't know if good is the word for it. It's been an enlightening and emotional (laughs) and uh, ultimately I'd say a positive time in the timeline of this person's life to experience your story and feel with you and hear your story. So thank you, Matthew, for joining us today. I love you, brother. Appreciate you uh, sharing, sharing your story. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist Podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.